I'm Alon Ben-Mir, and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Daniel Sewell, Director of the Conflict Management Program at the John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, and a noted expert on the Balkans. You can find his full bio on the page for this episode. Question in the Balkans, and it's the basic question in in Israel-Palestine as right, well. That's right. It's amazing. Exactly what, what you just said in terms of what the, this administration is doing. You you call it, I believe, in a white nationalist uh, government? I call it white supremacist. White supremacist. Yeah, even, because more, that's what it is. More appropriate, even. Yes, I agree with you. And uh, he, whatever progress was made, going back to Obama and Bush and others, however limited, He's reversing all of that. And well, he's it. certainly changing uh, the situation significantly, but I'm not sure he's reversing it yet. Uh, well, he's trying. He's, he's not, trying. Trying to reverse uh, it by, by incremental change. Right. Yeah. And uh, we've seen reversal occur previously. I have a son who works at The Atlantic who published a wonderful piece recently about the reversal that occurred after Reconstruction in the late 19th century in a period that was actually called Redemption. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there was a massive reversal of the progress uh, made in integrating the South in particular uh, after Reconstruction and the creation of a new system of Jim Crow. And the Jim Crow system persisted then for for 70 years, basically, 70, 80 years. So reversal is possible. But I think the odds against it right now in the United States are, are pretty high, largely because of demographic change. I mean, you know, okay. it's, it's not just that there are going to be, uh, will be a majority-minority nation, but we... But that's an important factor. Oh, no, no doubt. I mean, and also um, the timeline for that. It's for the uh, Trump administration and others like him. Uh, it's very, very worrisome for them. It is, we're not talking about the century. I think it explains, 10, I think years. it explains their attitude on yeah. immigration in particular. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because we're talking about, I mean, many demographers suggest that this could change within 10, 12 years. Yeah. And so to me, it's imminent. To me, the idea makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. I was brought up as a good liberal Democrat, who yes. wouldn't. I wouldn't. I often tell people in the Balkans, I wouldn't trade my individual rights for group rights on any day of the week at any moment in my life. I want to have exactly the same rights as anybody who's in the majority. And that's what liberal democracy is about. And, exactly. Uh, exactly. I don't want to veto on anything. I just want to be able to vote my conscience. So, uh, and that's me, what that's what uh, Trump has convinced this 35, 36% of the American public uh, that uh, they have to be protected by group rights, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. a very sad development in American yeah. history. But I don't... I don't think it's irreversible yet. I, th I think he, he, he is still struggling to uh, put things in his 
channel. If, especially, God forbid, <laughs> if he's re-elected, it's going to get much worse. It because be in that worse. base will be consolidated. That's right. So much more so that it, even after his departure, yeah. uh, the, that, this percentage, whether 35 or, or whatever, it's going to continue, will continue to persist. And that is my, my concern. I mean, when there was this conflict between, the United, between Trump and, and, and NATO and, and the EU, for that matter, when he was there specifically during the NATO meeting, uh, I, I, have, I, was, I was in Brussels at the same time. I was in the parliament. People were asking me, and what do you think? What are we going to do? And I, tell, and I said to them, you know, you have, you have to begin to think in terms of you, you, you what the EU would like to do and not to continue to rely or be guided by, from what's going on in Washington, what Washington is going to want to do. Yeah. There are, of course, limits. And my, my warning to them is that I, it is exactly what we're just saying now. I said, Trump may come and go, but remember, that constituency could further be consolidated. Uh, but the problem for the EU is that it also has that constituency. They do. They do. And, and in Poland, Hungary, Italy... Except they are very much in the minority, I mean, demographically speaking. Uh, yeah, they're having a big uh, political impact. They're having a big political impact in, in some key countries. And with Brexit, uh, you know, I, I, I worry about the future of the EU and whether it won't take a Trumpian direction. But I think we're supposed to talk about the Balkans. <laughs> I'm we, we're happy to talk about the Balkans who, just to say who the hell cares about the Balkans I mean what do you, I, what do you want to talk about the Balkans, the Balkans? Let's, let's start with Kosovo and, and Serbia well, Kosovo and Serbia I don't know what's happening today because there seems to be some tremendous blow up of yeah. harsh language from the Serbs and from the Albanians uh, that Vucic and Thatchi were supposed to meet. Do you know if they met? Uh, I, I, uh, think, I think they did. I think they did meet. Well, I think they did meet, yes. Let's put it this way. I mean, uh, you know, the basic question in the Balkans has always been, why should I be a minority in your country when you can be a minority in mine? And uh, that's the issue that the discussion of border correction has opened in... Um, in Kosovo and Serbia. Uh, I think it's a terrible issue to have opened. Uh, I agreed with the position of the Americans and the Europeans in the past that this should simply be ruled out. And in fact, it is ruled out. The Constitution of Kosovo says very explicitly that it cannot uh, alter its borders, absorbing another part of a neighboring country, or even giving up part of its uh, own territory. Right. So people ask me, why, why did this happen? Why did this happen? And I think uh, you have to ask that question at several levels. Uh, it happened in part because Thatchi saw Vucic and his, Thatchi's own internal opposition beginning to make some progress with this idea. So Vucic, uh, who has long advocated this partition idea, and for him it's partition, it's not an exchange, it's partition. Mm -hmm. Kosovo, Serbia takes the northern 
now four municipalities, only three of which were majority served before the war. North Mitrovica was not. Uh, and he was sending people to Washington who were getting a hearing that they had never gotten before. Why? Well, partly because it's an ethnic nationalist administration in Washington and the Serbs came it's in. It's much more open. With high-powered high lobbyists yeah. and got a hearing. And, and the administration essentially decided, as I understand it, that they would listen and that they were open to whatever proposition the Serbs and Albanians could come up to, but they didn't give it a blank check. They said there's no red line, there's no blank check. Uh, so they haven't, despite what Belgrade says, they haven't promised to support whatever Belgrade and Prisha come up with, but of course the burden of proof shifts uh, once the Americans say, you know, bring us a proposition and we'll see, we'll see whether we can support it. So Thatchy saw that happening, he saw it happening as a unilateral session of territory in northern Kosovo. And he didn't want the, the concept to be a unilateral one. He wanted it to be at, at least an exchange, and that's why he raised the pressureful issue. It's also true that by raising it, he was outflanking the LDK opposition in Kosovo, which Lutfi Hasiri in particular, who's in Jilan. And if you're in Jilan, it means that you're very sympathetic to the people who live in the Presheville Valley because it's very close by. Quite a few people have moved from Presheville to Jilan. And uh, Lutfi, whom I know well, uh, was making some political hay by saying we want Presheville inside Kosovo. So Hashim Thaci is a politician. He's an ethnic nationalist himself. Mm -hmm. uh, he saw Vucic making political hay, Lutfi Haziri making political hay. I think he said to himself, why should they benefit? I can do this too. And uh, so he did it. And uh, it was very unfortunate, I think. I think it's very difficult for Serbia and Kosovo to actually reach an agreement on this. Why? Well, for several reasons. Prisha's main water source is in northern Kosovo, which may yes. be given to Serbia. Yeah. And North Mitrovica, which is the most important part of the north, was majority Albanian before the war. So, uh, you know, the Albanians who were forced out of North Mitrovica, I remember talking to former Prime Minister Baron Mashepi about this. He lived in North Mitrovica, and you know, he's absolutely determined to be able to go back. And there's no reason why they shouldn't have been able to go back, except for Serb resistance. Uh, at the same time, the Presheville Valley, the Serbian army has always regarded that as a strategic place because of the road to the main outlet to the sea, which is in Thessaloniki. And um, the road is very important to the Serbian army. Are they really prepared to give up what little buffer zone they have around it? In addition, of course, and this for me is uh, an important consideration, most of the Serb religious monuments and sites are south of the Ibar, not north of the Ibar. And you don't have to listen to me, listen to Father Sava, who, who will tell you 
they are cooked. They're going to be evacuated if this proposal goes ahead. And I think that's right. The only question is whether it would be violent or nonviolent, short term or long term. Uh, he's afraid that everything will be lost in South of the Ebar if this goes ahead. And, and um, I think he's got good reason to yeah, fear, yeah. fear that. So uh, here we've opened the conversation about a proposition that is very unlikely to lead to a fruitful conclusion. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, it happens in negotiations all the time. If these guys come to understand why this can't be done, that would be a good thing. The problem is that opening the conversation in public, as they have, raises other problems in the region and beyond. And in particular, it raises the problem right now of Macedonia, because Macedonia has its referendum on the name issue on the 30th of September. If I'm an <coughs> Albanian, who really would prefer greater Albania, or at least greater Kosovo, why should I go out and vote for this name thing if, in fact, its defeat would lead to partition of the country? Now, partition Macedonia is not possible either. The reason is not so much the mixture of the population in general, but the fact that the main Albanian city in Macedonia is not Kosovo or Tetovo, as everybody will tell you. It's Skop, Skopje. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Skopje isn't going to be divided. The, the Macedonians aren't giving up half of their capital. It's just not going to happen. So uh, this proposition in Kosovo and Serbia raises problems with Macedonia. In addition, it obviously raises problems with Bosnia and Herzegovina, too. So when I talk to people in the State Department, they said to me, that's bullshit. <laughs> this has nothing to do with Bosnia and Herzegovina. This is a potential agreement between two sovereigns, and sovereigns have the legal right to exchange territory if they want to, and it's done all the time, which is true. Border corrections are done. I've stood on American territory that was once in Mexico because we... We move the border every once in a while in the southwest to accommodate a movement of a, of a river. The rivers wander, so they, they figure out how to, how to do that in an equitable way. So people who say there's nothing, there's no legal bar to this are absolutely correct. There's no legal bar to it except the Constitution of Kosovo, which is pretty mm. clear on this subject, but there's no international legal bar on two sovereigns exchanging territory. And the State Department people tell me, well, Milorad Dodik is not a sovereign. He can't do this. Sarajevo would have to do this, and Sarajevo won't do it. They're absolutely correct on a legal basis, but politics is another thing. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, it's yeah. very destabilizing for Bosnia and Herzegovina to have this change of borders because it gives those. It will absolutely have a ripple effect on the rest. In, in the region, but the ripple effect <coughs> goes beyond the region. Yeah. Yes. The ripple effect goes beyond the region As well. because it affects Georgia and Moldova mm -hmm. and Ukraine and enormously strengthens Vladimir Putin's case for changing the borders. Which is exactly places. what he's seeking. This is exactly what he wants. So let me let me let me touch on the on the EU role here. 
Well, the EU is, you know, obviously Kosovo would like to be members of the EU, and uh, so does uh, uh, Serbia and others. And the EU's position was, as long as there is this conflict between Serbia and Kosovo, that has to be resolved first before they will seriously consider membership in the EU. But then, I believe you suggested uh, in one of your writing that perhaps the EU should move on and begin discussing discussion with Serbia, with with the Kosovo to for membership would not wait necessarily because the, you are not advocating a change. I don't advocate land swap. <clears throat> Many people in, in Kosovo obviously do not want to, to see that happening. Uh, shouldn't the EU, uh, because I think the, pro, the, uh, the your suggestion is rather valid, proceed and not wait for the United States to, to give them the green line, not give them the green line in terms of begin negotiations with Kosovo for membership, and let the Serbian, um, you know, make their own decision what they want to do. So, of course, there is a risk where what Russia is going to do in if this is if this scenario is to um, uh, evolve and develop. I just look. Uh, there might be virtue in this idea of an early start to negotiations with Kosovo on the membership for membership. It's exactly what Europe did for Serbia. Serbia got candidacy and opening of negotiations, not on the basis of their level of preparation, but on the basis of the 2013 Brussels Agreement with Kosovo. So you can advocate that Kosovo get equal treatment. It just isn't going to happen. Uh, it isn't going to happen because there are prejudices against Kosovo in the EU that don't exist with Serbia. So you have the five non-recognizers uh, you have some countries very concerned about Albanian organized crime, and you have this growing ethnic nationalist sentiment in some key EU countries. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, proceeding with the membership negotiations with Kosovo, which is way behind, technically way behind Serbia in terms yes. of implementing yeah. the acquis. Yeah. The, the difference is not so much in legislation because legislation in Kosovo has been required to be consistent with the acquis for, for ever since independence and maybe a little bit before. But the problem is implementation. Uh, the Kosovo state has limited capacities and probably limited political will as well to implement the acquis. So uh, Serbia is well ahead in that, re in that respect. And the non-recognizers make it very, very difficult to, to suggest opening a, a negotiation with, with Kosovo. But I have to underline that the non-recognizers are also a boon to those of us who oppose land swaps. Because if there's anything worse than independence for Kosovo, for Spain or Cyprus, it's ethnic division mm -hmm. of yes. Kosovo, which which would obviously be a precedent for the Catalans and for, uh, and for the Turkish Cypriots. So, uh, so there's a peculiar kind of double edge now to the, to the non-recognizers. I think the simple fact is that uh, the Balkans generally, especially Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, Kosovo, are all complaining loudly 
about the lack of credibility of the EU option. I regard that as an escape from reality. Frankly, I think the EU has made it quite credible. They've even given you a date now when the window will open. So why don't you focus on getting ready rather than complaining that it's not credible? Of course, it's entirely possible that you'll get ready and that one or more countries yeah, in the they, EU will block you. That's entirely possible, but that's always going to be possible. There's no way of changing the fact of life, which is that you must uh, convince all the current members of the EU to allow you to exceed in order to exceed. You know, absolutely. I mean, getting ready and basically continue with the reform, you know, political, social, to make it, make it more and more consistent with the EU uh, position. And even even if they renege, even the EU say 10, because this surprise is going to take 7, 8, 10 years, maybe even more than that. Before they get really ready. For Kosovo, it's probably a bit more. For, even more than for, that. For Serbia, it's yeah. probably a bit less. Uh, but, you know, frankly, 2023 is very soon. And you have, to, you have to be qualified by 2023 in order to enter in 2025 because of the That's ratification right. process. Yeah. So 2023 is tomorrow. I mean, this is suddenly... In this context, This yes, is suddenly imminent. I think that's one of the reasons why Vucic is pushing so hard on partition. Because he knows, I've told him, others have told him, that in the final stages of accession, the exceeding country, the applicant country, has no leverage whatsoever. Zero. Slovenia had to give up everything in the final stage. Croatia gave up everything in the final stage. Montenegro is in the process of giving up everything. If this goes to 2023, when Serbia might be technically ready to implement all of the acquis that's applicable inside Serbia, uh, he gets nothing. Absolutely nothing for recognizing Kosovo and exchanging ambassadors. That's a condition that at least one, if not 20, of the, uh, of the current EU members will impose on him. And he knows that. So he wanted this to start earlier. Yes. Some Kosovars said to me, well, if he wants it to start earlier, and if he has to give up ev everything in the end game, then why should we talk about it? But I think it's not unwise to talk about it because I think, I think there, there are deals to be had here. Not on territory, I hasten to add, but I think on protection for Serbs inside Kosovo, there's a deal to be had. I think, I think there are things the Kosovars need to think about doing to make sure that the Serb monuments and religious sites are, are well protected. Uh, you know, but they have indicated they would be willing, more than willing to they, do that. They indicate yeah. that in principle. <clears throat> yeah. They indicate that in principle, but then when I go once again to talk to Father Sava, yeah. he says to me, look, the, the, the Kosovo Constitutional Court decided that we were right in our, the extent of our laying claim around the monastery, which is very important to the monastery because of the 
you know, they need peace and quiet. They don't want a highway built near the, near the monastery. And so that issue was decided in favor of the monastery in the Kosovo Constitution. Yes, Court. yes, yeah. But the land has never been registered by the local authorities in the name of the monastery, even mm -hmm. though a request is several years old. Yeah. So you can say, you know, I'm willing to talk about protection for the monasteries, but then you're not willing to register the monastery's land, its property. That raises doubts about what your intentions are. So I think there's a deal to be had here in which there's a bit stronger protection for the Serb population south of the Ibar, for the monasteries and other religious sites. And in exchange, I would say Kosovo has to get diplomatic recognition, exchange of ambassadors, and frankly, uh, uh, if not a green light, at least a yellow light for proceeding with, uh, with a small army. And an army can be smaller if there's mutual diplomatic recognition. Because once there's recognition, there's really no threat from Serbia. But then you have the Russia. And, uh, well, I mean, they got, no, Russia is in the mix here. And Russia has its own interest in Serbia. And they are going to block any possibility for the Kosovo to be rec internationally recognized as such. Well, and, and we they, they I mean, even if they reach these interim agreements about various issues, exactly what you just, um, you know, suggested, which I think it, it should be done, it can be done, but that does not eventually solve the, the bigger, bigger problem, and that is international recognition, specifically by the United Nations Security Council, where Russia has been and continued to oppose. I know no, of no solution to this problem uh, that I would find acceptable. I think the fact is Russia has a veto over membership in the exactly. UN. And uh, the only things I've heard proposed to get Russia to move off of that veto are land swap and recognition by the United States of the independence of Abkhazia, South Ossetia, maybe even Transnistria, and the annexation of Crimea. I mean... That's a price I don't want to see the United States pay. Um, so but I, I think Kosovo is, is condemned for a foreseeable future, maybe not to be a member of the UN. Yeah, this, this most, I mean, this seemed to be at least for the foreseeable future. I mean, there's another thing. Of course, Russia does not want also to make a move because that will open the door for Serbia to become member of the EU. And they don't want to see that happen. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I've never, over quite, time. I've never quite concluded how much Russia really cares about the EU. I think it cares much more about NATO, and there's no real risk that Serbia would become a member of NATO. I, I think they have essentially been successful in keeping Serbia out of the alliance, and I don't care, to tell you the truth. The alliance doesn't need Serbia as long as Macedonia gets in, as long as uh, Kosovo has prospect of getting in. But, but Serbia NATO, and Bosnia and Herzegovina don't bother me. But, but NATO does not need necessarily need Serbia, yeah. per, per se. So, I mean, the concern, I don't, I don't think Russian concern is about potentially membership in NATO. 
because it doesn't really have ma ma significant effect. More so about, e even in terms of, you know, by, by uh, the mere um, uh, proposition that, that Serbia is member of the EU in and of itself, that it does, Russia does not want to see that happen. Um, well, there, I mean, Vucic has to make a choice. Yeah. I mean, and, and we all thought he had made his choice during the last election campaign when he campaigned on a very pro-EU pro platform. But then behavior since then has not been consistent with that. Yeah. And then you have the, th the third player, and that's Turkey. Now, Turkey, for all intents and purposes, uh, no longer a viable candidate for the EU membership, as far as I can see. Maybe it had opportunity five, six, seven years ago, had, had Erdogan maintained the reforms, stuck to it, and continue in good faith to the negotiation with the EU, but that's dead for all intents and purposes right now. So because Erdogan have a different ambition, different agenda now as far as the Balkans are go. And so he is now a disruptive element there. He does not want to see any of the Balkans <laughs> to become a member of the EU, as long as Turkey is, in fact, not. And Turkey does not have any prospect of becoming one. So look what he's now doing in all of the Balkan states in terms of trying to exert the kind of influence. Uh, I mean, I don't know if we can gauge his success in five, ten years to see to what extent, in fact, he been able to influence really the, the events within the, be that in, in Kosovo and Macedonia and other places where he's investing heavily. Uh, and um, I know you probably subscribe to the notion he's, a, he's a, probably as a crazy as, as our person sitting in the White House here, has, has an illusion about resurrection, some elements of <laughs> Ottoman Empire. I mean, I was told by 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 people like David Dole at the time, many of his staff assistants, you know, we will be as powerful and a significant power in 2023, the 100th anniversary, as we were during the Ottoman Empire. I mean, there is that notion, not to speak of uh, his Islamic na nationalism. That, that now seems very unlikely. Unlikely. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I think, you know, Turkey certainly has taken a turn for worse in the Balkans. No Turkey, question, yeah. Turkey behaved extremely well in the Balkans for almost 20 years. Uh, I remember when I was, uh, I was partly responsible for the deployment of the NATO uh, no-fly zone over former Yugoslavia mm -hmm. during the war. And... Uh, People were saying that if a Turkish plane ever flew in in the no-fly zone enforcement, that all the Balkans would erupt in violence. Wasn't true. Turkey then deployed troops on the ground, especially in Bosnia, but also elsewhere. They behaved extremely well. They were very careful about maintaining their impartiality, not neutrality, their impartiality. And frankly, they made a lot of money in the Balkans once the wars were over, and they tried to maintain good relations with Serbia, in particular, because they recognized Serbia's importance in the region. Uh, and all of that excellent impartiality, focus on making money and not, not on the promoting 
Islamist governance or anything like that. All of that's evaporated only in the yeah. last couple of years. And that's right, because he's now pushing his Islamic agenda. That's no question. He's really but why pushing. then? Why then we see some of the like the the uh, the Kosovo, Macedonia, and all of that are clamoring and sort of open the door for Turkish investment, Turkish. Uh, isn't there uh, some inconsistency? On the one hand, he is losing um, uh, because of his Islamic agenda. Is losing, uh, you know, the popularity, so to speak. There. On the other hand, the governments, just about all of them, trying to, are willing to accept Turkish investments. Am I? You know, money talks, nobody walks. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> Money talks, and the Turks have a lot of it, or had a lot of it. The, the current situation is a little bit different from what it's been in the last few years, yeah. because the Turkish economy is really in, in trouble. And so I, I wonder whether Erdogan is going to continue to have the kind of sway he's had with... I agree with, with you. With, I, don't, uh, I think he was... Yeah. And with with yeah. Thatchi. Yeah. Uh, but look, I mean... Turkey is not the biggest problem in the Balkans. The Russians are. The Russians are. It is, however, a player, and and it is a disruptive player. Not, it, not, it is now a disruptive player. I would yeah. hope to see it go back yeah. to its more traditional role of no problems with neighbors. <laughs> oh well, but that's not uh, under Erdogan. I not under Erdogan. Erdogan has that, to be that, out, of, out right. of the picture. But their their role. Uh, though I agree entirely it's turned pernicious, is not nearly as, as problematic as the Russian role. The Russian role is a very purposeful, low-budget, but purposeful effort to prevent NATO membership from Montenegro. In particular, they tried and failed, of course, but they tried with an assassination. I mean, that is really quite extraordinary. They're trying now with Macedonia, they're trying to prevent the name issue from being resolved, both actively inside Macedonia, but maybe more importantly inside Greece, because they have probably more influence in Greece than they do in Macedonia. And the Greeks, Cyprus, I mean, it's really quite extraordinary. This leftist government expels uh, Russian spies and bad actors uh, uh, because they were trying to prevent the approval in Parliament of the and I, I of don't the you, I, I agree. I mean, don't you think also because of this administration here, Putin has fear that he has more um, he will, less resistance from the United States. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean definitely, he's, he's definitely. fully taken advantage of yeah. the fact that that albeit the Congress maybe want to impose sanctions, maybe this, but he knows also the president here is not going to. No, that's exactly right. So, and and uh, so he's emboldened. He's emboldened. He's not spending a lot of money on it, but uh, they're making some clever moves, and it remains to be seen how successful they'll be. I think the biggest danger is in Bosnia and Herzegovina, yeah. where you know people say to me, again, I go to the State Department and I worry about Dodik and what he's up to, and they say, look. Well, don't worry about it. Serbia will never encourage a declaration of independence by by Republika Srpska because it would it would ruin their prospects with the EU. And I agree completely with that. They won't. 
they won't recognize an independent Republic of Serbsky, even if Dodik goes ahead and declares it. But for the Russians, that's fine. Oh, yes. For the Russians, all they need is a South Ossetia, Abkhazia, a little, a little place where it's outside uh, sovereignty. And they can make uh, th that's enough. Uh, that, that's enough for them. We'd be with and, the current and status quo. Dodik will be fine with that yeah. as long as the Russians fill his money, his yeah. pockets with rubles. Question is whether the Russians are still in a mood to fill his pockets with rubles. They've always been very hesitant about Dodik because you never get any money back from the guy. But I think we could end up with a. One of these, um, one of these, uh, you know, semi-independent, unrecognized centers for organized crime and corruption uh, in 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 half of Bosnia, forty-nine percent of Bosnia, mm -hmm. uh, which was the greatest mistake the Americans made at Dayton because. The, the Federation actually controlled 67% of the country at, at the time of the Dayton talks, and we rolled them back right. uh, to what Holbrook felt was an irreversible promise of 49% uh, by the contact group to Milosevic. But that was a terrible mistake, uh, and one that Dick recognized after the fact, I think. Uh, but the the... The Russians don't need uh, an independent republic. No, I, I think they, they, they just need one that that pays no attention to. Syria. But they, they, they don't. They prefer. I mean, they, I think they prefer the status quo. They're benefiting a lot from the current status quo. It's not bad for them. It's but not if, bad for if, them. But if Dodik goes to them and says, "Look, I promise this independence referendum a thousand times." I've got to do it. Uh, I, I can't continue without doing it. They might say, well, what difference does it make? Go ahead and do it. Uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll deal with it. What that would provoke, I, I think it would provoke a military reaction by whatever portion of the Bosnian army is loyal to Sarajevo. And I don't know what proportion uh -huh. that is, to tell you the truth. But I think they would go for Britschko, uh, because Britschko is the center of gravity of Bosnia and Herzegovina. If the Federation has it, Republika Srpska doesn't exist anymore. If Republika Srpska has it, the country is partitioned. Uh, and that, that was true during the war, too. That's why the fighting was, a great deal of fighting was about Britschko, yeah. not about Sarajevo, but about Britschko. And uh, so I think, I think we could see a short war, a contest for Britschko in Bosnia and Herzegovina, which would be devastating to U.S. interests, because the United States would have to oppose any effort by the Muslims to take Britschko, and uh, that would end the romance between Muslims so, in so the United States. You know, what we have now, of course, you have the internal combustion within the Balkans. Then you have outside players, the EU, Russia, Turkey, the United States. And the conflict seems to me, I'm sure you agree, it's as complex, maybe even more complex, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We have two, two 
party in the state. You have two six. party. We, 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 <laughs> that's right. The Balkans yeah. is complicated. The, now the question, you know, uh, you've been advising, you've been thinking about it so, uh, a lot more than I did, obviously, because I haven't as concentrated as much. But needless to say, you're not going to find a solution that's going to be a comprehensive solution to all the problem at any given time. That's not going to happen. But if we were to go in stages, where do we begin? Oh, I think we've already begun. Uh, the first stage is the Macedonia name issue, which if it goes to a successful conclusion, will leave the Kosovo-Serbia issue as the next priority. Yes. Yeah. And the Kosovo-Serbia issue, I think uh, UN membership for Kosovo, I don't, I'm not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel yet, but I am seeing the light at the end of the tunnel for mutual recognition and exchange of ambassadors, stronger protection for the Serb South and the Ibar, uh, a smaller Kosovo army than the 5,000 they were planning, and entirely oriented towards international deployments because they yeah. no longer have a foreign enemy. Uh, a bordering enemy. Uh, and then the last problem is Bosnia and Herzegovina. Yeah. And the, the problem, in and those are the only three issues. I mean, people, people are telling me that the, the Balkans is a complete mess. It's a total failure. Nonsense. There are three problems left. Really, only yeah, but, three. Yeah, but, but oh, really, only com complicated. They're, I mean, they're, I mean, they're the, complicated, but they're not insoluble. No, I, no, I agree with you. I mean, I come from a background say every every conflict can be resolved if you are creative right, enough. But it's, it's it's a little bit more than that. There, yeah. There's there's relatively compared to where we were in the nineties. There's much less heavy lifting to be done by mm. the international community in the Balkans. The problem is that there's much less political will to do that yeah, heavy lifting. Will, yeah. So, so the Americans, you know, just don't want to hear about the thing they wanted to evaporate, and they say, "Well, if you can swap some land and that solves it, go ahead." That's a mistake. It won't. I don't think it'll work, but I do think there is a solution out there for Kosovo, Bosnia, not for Kosovo UN membership yet, but for ending the enduring conflict between Serbia and Kosovo. So do you think if the, the referendum, I, I have a feeling they, they, they will accept the change of name in the referendum. Don't you feel that way? I mean, what would be the reason that they, they would not accept the, 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 the Republic are of two, Northern There Mexico? are two concerns, I think, only two concerns. The, the, the referendum will get more than 50% of the votes. But you don't need only more than 50% of the votes. You need more than 50% of registered voters voting. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, the voter rolls in Macedonia have supposedly cleaned up, but people tell me that there are still problems, that yeah. there are still a lot of people on the voter rolls who either don't exist or are dead or whatever. That's a problem. In addition, as I mentioned, if you're an Albanian, do you want to bother going to the polls to vote for something that's going to keep the country united if, in fact, what you want is union with Kosovo or union with Albania? So uh, Albanian enthusiasm for, for the thing, you know, I've talked to them. The political leadership's completely solid. They'll try to turn out the voters. But 
But there's some question about whether they can make the 50% of registered voters voting. But if they did, don't you think this might facilitate the next step? Right. But, but, then, but then you've got the problem in Greece. And the problem in Greece is the very narrow majority that the current government has in the parliament. And it's not clear where the votes are going to come from to approve the agreement in the Greek parliament. Mm -hmm. I think failure there is even more likely than failure to get 50% of registered voters to vote in Macedonia. And that's where the Russians are concentrating their efforts. They're, they're really concentrated in, in Greece, not in yeah. Macedonia. So I do have some fears about it, but if it passes and that's resolved and Macedonia enters NATO, it will be such a boost for the it region will be a as boost. a whole. Yeah, I, I will say that's, we've that's, got momentum again. That's right. We've got that's momentum right. again. That's right. And the, that momentum has to be used to try to solve Kosovo-Serbia. Uh, and once Kosovo-Serbia is solved, I don't know how we solve Bosnia because Bosnia is a constitutional issue. The, the, the problem in Bosnia and Herzegovina is the Dayton agreements. Yeah. Yeah. which were imposed at a particular moment and empowered the warring parties to continue in power. There's only been one year of nominally non-nationalist governance in, uh, in Bosnia and Herzegovina. We've tried at least three times now to change the constitution. And uh, the effort I was involved with, the April package, got the closest to being approved and... and it's never come back to Parliament. So how you solve this, uh, I don't actually know. But I think, it's, I think it's not the first problem we should attack. I think we should attack name issue, then Serbia, Kosovo, then Bosnia and Herzegovina. And I think we have to have some discipline about trying to attack these things one by one. Because as soon as you try to mix them up, the partition idea yeah, resurges. Yeah, no, no question. And, that's exactly, and I think the same thing when we started talking about the Israeli Palestine, it's got to have to be done in incrementally. Um, by yeah, commitment but it, none of it's insoluble. Yeah, it, yeah. And it all leads to a very good place. Yeah. It leads to NATO membership for most of the region right. and EU membership for all of the region. Yeah. I cannot tell you how extraordinary it is that the EU, just a few years after Dayton, two years after, even less, one year after the, the NATO war against Serbia, decided to offer the prospect of EU membership yeah, to this region. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the fact that people are all complaining about it is crazy. They yeah. should be celebrating about yeah. it. This yeah. is a promise that may be very difficult to fulfill. But it's, it's clearly intended, and they've maintained it now for the better part of 20 years, and they intend to maintain it longer. And uh, if, if the Middle East had any chance to become a member of the EU, <laughs> we might see a very different Middle East. Yeah, if yeah. Turkey had had any realistic possibility, it, we might have seen a very different Turkey. People in the Balkans have to put first things first. And the first thing is preparation for membership in the EU, which means installing liberal democracy 
protection for minorities. People are still worried about prote protection for themselves. There's no problem with protection for Kosovo Albanians in Kosovo. There isn't even a big problem with protection for Kosovo Serbs, but there's still a lack of confidence on the part of the yeah, Serbs. Yeah, so you have, yeah. to, you have to give them something. I don't think you have to give them territory. You have to give them protection. Protection yeah. is what it's yeah. about. We can continue this for another hour, two, three. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for taking You're welcome. I should really? mention, by the way, that uh, some of what I had to say will be out in the book in December. Uh, I've written a book called From War to Peace, the Balkans, the Middle East, and Ukraine. The Balkans, Middle East, and Ukraine are actually very close to each other geographically. And all of them, including southern Ukraine, in particular Crimea, have a history in the former Ottoman Empire, which is amazing to me. Yes. And, yes. and uh, so I don't want to exaggerate the parallels too much, but I think there are some valid parallels. There are also some invalid ones mm -hmm. that Putin mm -hmm. uses all the time. Uh, but the book tries to look at what we've accomplished in the Balkans in a m much more positive light than most commentary is today, and then to try to apply lessons learned. But I, I think, however, I mean, I agree, and I agree. I think the, we go back to change of leader both in Russia and Turkey. That's going to be one of the prerequisites. Of course, it's yeah. never guaranteed that the no. change of leadership will no. be in the right direction. No, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is a requ prerequisite. That leadership that's thinking differently and approaching these issues differently. But I that's think we have to, to exhaust this period of exaggerated hope in ethnic nationalism. Yeah. You know, the odd thing is that rather than the Balkans becoming more European, the Europeans are becoming more Balkan, as are yeah, the Americans. Yeah, yeah. And I think we, we have to get through, we have to suffer the disappointments uh, of all these promises the ethnic nationalists have made before we can get back to something that may not be identical to the liberal democratic hopes of the past, but is, is more realistic than what we're, we're suffering right now. I agree, 100%. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I don't know if you can use all this stuff. You give me a microphone and I talk forever. I mean, <laughs> Um, no, truly, I'm, I'm grateful to you. And then, yeah, definitely, uh, I look forward to looking at your book and read it from page one to last to the last page. Well, thanks again. Thank you. So You're welcome. Much. Yes. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page, and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.